as we gather here on our final normal-ish Sunday in Violet. Uh, I want to say something that I hope is clear from if you've been here all semester, all year. Um, we love the Bible. We love the scriptures. We've been hanging out in the Psalms this semester, Sermon on the Mount in the fall. Um, we, we love the Bible. The Bible on its own is, is nothing. It's just words on a page. It just sits there. It's just nothing. Um, the, the Bible is um, an invitation into a life with God um, to hear God's voice and to, to live that. Um, it's, it's an invitation to a participatory thing, uh, which is why this semester and this year, as we've heard um, people's testimonies, uh, I think it is an incredible way um, for us to engage the scriptures, um, really to engage God through the scriptures, through our friends' lives. Um, and so here this morning, we have the chance again um, to hear and uh, to, to know, like to know in our bones, um, the, the truth of the scripture, the truth about God, what we're doing here. Um, we get it from uh, Romans this morning and from past president, past madam president, Hank, here she is. Thank you. Hey. Um, yes, I'm Hank. If you don't know me, my real name is Hannah, but there are 10,000 Hannahs in CCF, so I go by Hank. Um, I'm a senior, which means that I graduate in 13 days. <laughs> um, I will be getting my degree in sociology with a minor in Spanish. After graduation, I will be heading off to Vermont for the summer to work on a farm. Um, I'll be working for an organization called New Community Project, and their main focus is attempting to end food insecurity in rural communities. So I'm very excited for this summer, but I don't know what's going to happen afterwards, and that's okay. Um, I did have a bunch of slides made, but then Truman's computers still aren't working in Violet Hall, so that kind of sucks. Um, but I'll just work through it, I guess. Because I have pictures, I'll just describe them. <laughs> I'm originally from McPherson, Kansas. It's a super small town that not very many people know. Um, I did have a picture of my family. Um, I had a picture of my brother, Christopher. He is two years older than me. Um, my dad was in the picture, but he's here in person, so if you want to know what he looks like, he's back there. <laughs> Shank. <laughs> um, and then my mom, Ann, was up there, too. I also had a picture of our dog, Champ. We had to put him down this a few months ago, but he was a big part of my life, and so I had him up there because he is still family. And then I had a whole slide dedicated just to Frank. She's my cat. She's my child. I love her so much. Together, we are Frank and Hank. <laughs> Um, so yeah, without further ado, I have a few titles. So this is Love Your Neighbor as Yourself, or Living Intention, or Mom, I Want to Be a Peace Activist. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I grew up attending the McPherson Church of the Brethren. The denomination of the Church of the Brethren is part of the four historic peace churches. The other three include the Amish, Quakers, and the Mennonites. Um, whenever I tell someone that I am brethren, um, and they always ask because no one knows what the brethren are, um, I like to say that I'm kind of like the Amish and the Mennonites, but not really. Um, the Church of the Brethren earned this title of Historic Peace Church due to the nonviolent stance the denomination takes when it comes to conflict resolution. 
The brethren, both as a denomination and as individual people, solve problems through peaceful means. My church is big on reconciliation and ensuring that there are always two, side, two equal sides to any conversation and that both voices are worthy of being heard. Conversations are made into a safe place where everyone involved can be comfortable to be honest and vulnerable. The brethren listen, observe, and think before responding. The brethren are also dedicated to serving others, healing the broken, and bringing hope to the poor in spirit, using Christ as our example. Um, I was taught to be an active disciple of Jesus and the world by standing up for those who are marginalized, by helping those in need, and by loving my enemy. I, I attended Camp Colorado for 10 years. Camp Colorado is a brethren church camp in, you guessed it, Colorado. Um, it was my happy place for most of my life, and it was the place that I felt, first felt God's presence. Um, attending this camp year after year had huge impacts on my desire to dive deeper in my faith. I was baptized at Camp Colorado when I was 16, so it will always have a special place in my heart. A very specific memory that I have from camp that I feel like accurately represents how I learned what it meant to be brethren is called the simulation game. Um, we played this game two different years when I was in high school. And to begin the game, each camper was given a card of either pink, yellow, or green. And depending on what color of card you were given, that determined what socioeconomic class you belonged to for the day. Pink was first class, yellow was middle class, and green was lower class. The distribution of colors accurately reflected the socioeconomic distribution of our world, meaning that there were significantly more green cards than pink cards handed out because the pink cards represented the top 1% of the world. If I remember correctly, there were over 20 people in the lower, lower class category um, and only three to five people in the first class category. There was a hierarchy of privileges allotted to campers that day. Those in the lower class category were not allowed to use any running water and they had to share one bag of tortillas and five cans of beans with each other for the entirety of the day. Keep in mind, there were, only like, there were over 20 people in that group. Um, those in the first and middle class categories had more privileges like running water um, and full meals, as well as extra free time, and they got out of their chores. Um, we spent the whole day separate from each other, but at the end of the day, we came together to talk about what we learned. Uh, the simulation game taught us how our world is structured into different hierarchies, not only based on socioeconomic st status, but also race, gender, sexuality, and so many other things. We learned about the sufferings of entire groups of people as well as individuals. The simulation game was very impactful in my life and played a large role in how I now view the, ro the world. From an early age, I was surrounded by experiences like this and witnessed real life activism through the people at my church. Um, my church has established a medical and water project in Haiti to increase access to safe medical care and water. I've witnessed people from my church build houses and donate furniture to the local housing coalition. Every Christmas, we sponsor families in the community and donate toys to them so that their children will have at least one present to open on Christmas morning. The list goes on and on of examples of the service and love the people at my church have for our community and for this world. Because of this exposure, my goal in life, my dream job, was to be a peace activist. I basically wanted to save the world from all suffering and be exactly like Jesus. Um, my desire to be a peace activist started at a young age and only grew as I got older. 
When I was looking for colleges, I almost attended a brethren-affiliated college called Manchester University in Indiana and majored in peace studies. But then I went on a college visit to Truman and, well, the rest is history. Um, but the point is, is that I felt this desperate passion to help people, to save the world. There's always been this fire inside of me to help those who are unable to help themselves. And I think that this passion, this fire, started before I was born. Um, I had a slide that had my grandparents on it, um, my grandma Carol and my gra grandpa Dave. These are my dad's parents. Um, they owned a resort in Minnesota for a little while. And 25 years ago, in May of 1998, my grandma Carol was on her morning walk when a man who was drunk from the night before raped and murdered her. I never met my grandma. Um, but everything I ever heard about who she was can be summed up by Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. My whole life, I have questioned why God would ever let something like this happen to someone who is gentle and kind and patient and a loving servant. My family suffered greatly on that day and has continued to suffer every single day since. This event in my family's history laid the foundation for how I see the world. I am hyper aware of the suffering that goes on in the world. My dreams of being a peace activist were rooted in this awareness of suffering. As I entered high school, I was being exposed to more suffering in every aspect of my life. I would read news articles in my current issues class about the latest natural disaster. I would have friends who were deeply struggling with their mental health, and I would go through my own experiences of suffering. As the world came crashing down on me and I was overstimulated with suffering, I would attempt to attack suffering head on. It became my mission to end all suffering, and I would do so, do so through making political activism my new hobby. I became known as the political friend. In high school, I was constantly getting into arguments with people who had different beliefs, thoughts, and opinions from me. I think that I thought that if I won these arguments, then somehow I was entering this, ending the suffering of the people we were fighting about. Winning these arguments proved how much I cared for peop the people I was standing up for. In my mind, being political was the only way to save the world. I could only do good by talking about what is wrong with our laws and by changing said laws. My senior year of high school, I got the opportunity to showcase my political abilities. My youth group took a trip to New York City and Washington, D.C. to participate in a program called Christian Citizenship Seminar. We call it CCS, and it was really confusing coming to college and having CCF. Um, but this program brings together Brethren High School students from all across the country every year to give them an opportunity to intertwine their faith in a political issue and how to be an advocate for an advocate grounded in faith. We spent the first part of the week in New York City learning about a bill that would be presented to Congress in the near future and how to talk to our representatives to advocate for this bill. The specific bill that, that we learned about had to do with allocating funds for non-governmental organizations or NGOs in war-torn countries. And if you want to learn more about this bill, I'm still really interested in it and talk to me later about it. Um, but after learning about the bill and getting to do fun touristy things like visiting the United Nations building, we headed off to Washington DC 
where we got to visit our congressmen from our respective states. This experience lit my soul on fire. My youth group went to visit with Mar Roger Marshall, the then Kansas House representative, about this bill, and the conversation was infuriating to me. I felt as though he was half listening to the things we were saying. It seemed like he was just trying to get us through the door as quickly as possible and used us as a photo op. He made us feel small and unimportant. We were just another item on his to-do list that needed to be checked off. I remember leaving that meeting feeling disappointed and provoked. It didn't sit well with me that my passion to help people was so easily dismissed by someone who I viewed as having the power to make real change to help, the to help those people. I came back from that trip and instantly knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I was going to be a lobbyist. As I finished out high school and entered college, my social media feed was flooded with political accounts and posts. I was constantly reposting stories and news posts that I agreed with or wanted other people to know what my views were. I closed off my feed and myself from viewing any other thoughts or opinions that I did not believe in. And by doing so, I was turning my back on any hope for reconciliation. This problem only got worse as COVID hit my freshman year of college and then the 2020 election season was in full effect. In a full effect, yeah. My addiction to politics became even worse during this time. If you supported the other side, I wouldn't even consider you acquaintance, let alone a friend. I couldn't even imagine someone else, I couldn't even imagine how someone else could support that other side. I left no room for any other voice that differed from mine. There was no room for grace, reconciliation, or hope, not for others, not even for myself. By tearing down other people who had different thoughts, beliefs, and opinions from me, I was tearing myself to shreds. By the end of my sophomore year of college, I was a shell of who I once was. My social media feed left me overwhelmed, frustrated, insecure, and bitter for over a year. It wasn't until this past November that I finally deleted social media and cut myself off from politics. I've been blissfully unaware of the state of the world. I've shrunk into myself, sitting in a dark hole, feeling guilt and shame for not doing enough to save the world from suffering. I got burnt out and turned into a pile of ashes. I've come to realize that my burnout was caused by the fact that my dreams of being a peace activist were not rooted in a desire to truly help others. They were rooted in a deep desire to destroy the other. I desperately wanted to prove that I loved those in need by crushing those who disagreed with me. I had to show that God's love flowed through me in a fiery rage to demolish anyone who had a different opinion from me. I lost my brethren roots. I didn't truly love my neighbor as myself. I wasn't following in Jesus' footsteps. I may have played it off that way as if I were the next Messiah here to save the world, but at the heart of it, the, fa the true fact was that I was deeply insecure, confused, and lost in my faith. I wasn't allowing myself to wrestle with the questions that had plagued my life, plagued me my whole life. They are questions of how could I trust in a God that lets bad things happen to good people? What kind of so-called loving God would let suffering exist? How could I trust in a God that would let my grandma Carol suffer in the way that she did? How can I trust in a God that watches me suffer and does nothing to change my situation? When I started allowing myself to ask these questions, I always ended up 
ended up going down a dark rabbit hole that contained more of these types of questions. And in the end, I am always left hopeless, angry, and scared every time. I'm hopeless that suffering will end. I'm angry that God lets suffering happen. I'm scared of when I will suffer next and what it will be from. I've actually started going down this rabbit hole over the last few weeks as I was preparing for today, because I started asking myself those questions. Um, and I would come to CCF feeling like a fraud. I would sing songs of praise, but then sit there and feel like the words being spoken to me through other testimonies or Derek and Reed talking about suffering were hitting me as if I were a brick wall and they would just fall limp on the ground. I was and maybe still am in this weird tension between feeling feelings of immense gratitude and feelings of confusion or hurt. But I'm beginning to think that the tension is the place to be. As I went down my dark rabbit hole, I had to take a step back and ask myself, what do I actually expect from God and from this world in the first place? Do I expect him to eliminate all world suffering? Do I expect this world to be all rainbows and butterflies? And would I even want that? And then I started going down a different rabbit hole of how could I not trust in God? How could I not trust in a God that makes good things happen? How could I not trust in God that has brought me out of my suffering every single time? How could I not trust in a God that made my grandma Carol exist in the first place? How could I not trust in a God that set down, sent down his son to suffer and die on the cross so that he might be fully present in our lives? The tension between good and bad things is not the only tension I feel myself living in. I also feel the tension between being utterly consumed by politics and being a true peace activist. On the one hand, it's not good to be addicted to, pol to political awareness, but on the other hand, it is equally not good to be blissfully ignorant. And if I'm being honest, I don't know how to live in the tension. But I'm desperately trying to figure it out. I think that I have to have to start at my core. I think that shrinking into myself and sitting in that dark hole was the best place for me to start. It's where I started asking all of my questions, and it's where I found God living and breathing in me. From there, I began paying attention to my close friends and families, seeing the ways in which they were suffering, and seeing what I could do to help them without sacrificing my foundation of God's love within me. There are circles that expand beyond my close friends and family. The more the circle expands, the more people they include. For example, maybe the next biggest circle is CCF and other organizations I'm involved in on campus. Um, maybe it's Truman as a whole. And maybe the next biggest circle is the Kirksville community and so on and so forth until the largest circle encompasses the whole world. You cannot solely live in the largest circle pouring all of your energy there because you will get burnt out just like me. But you also cannot solely live in your teeny tiny little circle and only pour into yourself because we are not called to act like that. But I think that starting in your personal circle is the right place to discover God within you. At least it was the right place for me. For the last few months, I've been sitting nicely in my personal circle and the circle of my friends and family but I think I'm, I'm ready to start taking a few steps forward into some bigger circles and paying attention to the suffering going on there. I know now that when I do start stepping into bigger circles, I must show up with grace, 
hope, humility, and above all, love. There will be joy and there will be suffering in all of these circles. And I will try my best to live in the tension between them and love my neighbor as myself. Um, I'm going to end with a liturgy from Every Moment Holy, Volume 2. Um, this is a prayer for those who feel overwhelmed. Teach me now what it means to trust you in the dark veil of night, as I have trusted you in the full light of day. O Lord, light my way. O Lord, lead me in your good paths. Amen. Amen.